nervous? <laughs> no. Where's your answer? Dennis Beckham, let the ball out! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Oh! oh, no! Oh, yes! He missed it! Welcome to the Suffering from Joy podcast. My name's Devin. I'm joined here today by uh, Charles Peacock of the False Nine Texas and uh, Brad Tillery, and we're going to discuss the soul-crushing uh, Austin FC loss to uh, FC Frisco. Charles, how you feeling? <sighs> tired, drained, just, disappointed. Just, so <laughs> um, just, you know, a lot of emotions from the match, and, uh, you know, it's dreary out today, and... Uh, yeah, that's just kind of where we're at on the weekend right now. I was going to say, the uh, the rain this morning definitely was mood, but um, didn't help the uh, bounce back at all. Brad, how about you? Yeah, I mean, obviously disappointed in the outcome last night. I, I, I probably have a different take on the game than a lot of folks. I'm not crazy upset about it. I, I just don't want to lose, but you know, we'll get into the, to the tactics in a match here in a minute. But uh, I'm not too upset about the way we played. Uh, and, you know, don't forget, we've got FC Toad today with a, a big match in Colorado. So you can bounce back and actually still have a good weekend for the club. Yeah, I wouldn't actually start this off, um, not with all the doom and gloom of outside or the result yesterday, but um, I've been gone for like a month. Anybody listening probably knows that we haven't had episodes. And I came back and my first match I got to see, we saw the unthinkable, the holy grail of Austin FC. And Charles, I know you've been waiting day and night to finally see a Rodney Redes goal. Beautiful loop tether off a corner. Um, you see guys who are, you know, 20 goal a season strikers who don't hit headers that well. How did you celebrate and uh, how'd you feel? Uh, so I was in the supporter section and the supporter section always goes crazy for any goal, but it slowly dawned on everybody there that it was Lord Rodney who scored. And it really took the celebration up like 25%, I would say. Like, I can't remember the last time in a regular season match, the supporter section completely lost its shit like that. Um, people who had been doubters and uh, haters and non-believers were suddenly on, on, on the correct side of things and supporting Rodney. Um, so it was just a, it's a seminal moment in club history. It is. First ever signing, uh, his first goal. And like you said, it's a good goal. He had a... Another thing that happened while I was gone, is we had a Rodney header assist to uh, Ragoni gets on the score sheet, uh, gets his first Austin FC goal, and uh, they seem to both have a, a good game on Wednesday. Obviously, we'll get into to Frisco, but I mean, what did you guys kind of general impressions um, in the past few weeks, how we've been going? We'll dive into tactics here in a minute, but um, have we been kind of on the right trajectory basically since, I don't know, we'll call it mid-April? Yeah, yes. I think I think so. Um and, you know, we talked about the Rodney goal, I, like you, I would, I thought the stadium was, you know, being 80% full. That's about as loud as it gets uh, when that Rodney goal went in. I was lucky enough it happened right in front of me, like in my, in my upper level seats, like right, right where I sit. So, um, I recognized immediately it was Rodney. I think I screamed, holy fuck, Rodney just scored and <laughs> went absolutely nuts. Um, and then at halftime, walking into the restroom, I think I screamed very loudly that Rodney fucking Redis had scored a goal. Yeah, um, you did. I was right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so, you know, I, but I look at the games before that. You, you mentioned the assist to Rigoni. That whole night, uh, Rodney played well. And that was a home match uh, against San Jose. And then even in the Portland match, the first goal, he had the break. Uh, he was the one leading that uh, counter break. Uh, 
that actually led to our first goal with Rigoni's cross to Gallagher. So he's played well you know, up to last night where he had the, the quick yellows and got red carded. And I think the team overall is starting to find a little more fluidity. Um, uh, the new shape is helping that a ton. Uh, and honestly, once everybody's healthy and back, I'm curious to see how the shape takes forward because where does Dreyusi fit into this shape that we're playing right now with kind of a five-man back line and the wingman are the wingbacks pushing up in the attack? It, it kind of takes one of your midfield spots away, right? So where does Dreyusi really fit in this? Who do you sit? Um, is Redis... If you take, yeah, he played. He played pretty well last night up until he got red carded out of the game. Is Fagundes over Redis right now based on form and and the way Diego has played this year? And do you automatically put Diego back on the left because Ragoni has been much better since moving to the left side? So I like what we're seeing, but I also think there's a ton of questions about how you shape this team moving forward. Yeah, I mean, uh, Charles, anything you want to add before we kind of dive into that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, I think the players have figured out the shape and and kind of the passing sequences, um, especially when it comes to getting the ball from one side to the other and using the um, opposing winger into that kind of like middle space like Rodney did on the Port- Portland goal. And I think they're understanding how that works a little bit better, um, which is why the attack has looked better recently. <sighs> I don't know where Drew fits in the system. I think is the is kind of the big question of what happens when he comes back because I don't I don't think any of the positions in the attacking three are really where he should be used. Well, I mean, it's I don't think we're going to be playing Rodney over him. We'll find a way to get him on the field. Maybe you put him in the uh, the Valencia role or, or yeah. move something like that. But um, let's I, let's get into the shape so we can kind of define where everybody is, and then we'll dive into this. Um, so we started the year kind of playing some version of what's called a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, one of those two, threw that in the bin. And now we're in a back three, back five. I'm going to call it a back three because of how high the winger or the uh, wing backs are playing. But essentially we have three center backs, one of which is ring across the back line. Cascante kind of as the pivot in between the two um, ring and Bison on one side. You have, especially in possession, our wing backs, uh, typically Lundqvist and Gallagher last night, are the highest people up on the pitch. Um, they're basically playing as wingers with extra defensive responsibility more than backs with forward responsibility. Um, you got two pivots, Danny and uh, Valencia. I'm sure it'll be Owen plenty when he comes back. Um, in front of them, you kind of have what I'm going to call, you know, you can call them eights, you can call them whatever. I would call them twin tens, Rigoni and Redes. Uh, we mentioned Rigoni flipping over to the left. Um, and then you'll have a striker up top. And so you kind of end... And tell, tell me if you guys see this any differently when we're in possession with wing back, uh, 10 striker, 10 wing back. And you basically have five tunnels or five channels uh, that we're attacking down. And everybody kind of goes in those positions. You can play the ball through. And I think it's much more exciting and closer to what we wanted to do because we were kind of playing the wing back or the uh, outside backs that way before, but in a four and that doesn't work. So, um, Brad, I'll give you first whack here. Anything you want to add to that or are you seeing this differently? No, that's exactly what I'm seeing. Uh, defensively, we set up in a 5-4-1 we, when we are in a defensive shape. And then we turn into that more three-back, four-five mid, however you want to say it up top, that, that we push towards with uh, the channel runs in the attack. Um, 
I like it, man. We've become, I think we've also become more solid defensively. Um, you know, last night they only had really one, maybe two decent chances before Rodney went off. Um, and New Mexico had nothing. Um, now granted New Mexico is not a great team, even for USL standards. Um, so I, I think we're playing better. Uh, I, I'm with you though. I, I don't quite understand where Jerusi fits in when he comes. I still go back to that. Like, do you take off Valencia? Cool. But what do you do when Wolf comes back? Because that seems like a more suited role for Owen Wolf. Um, is Jerusi one of those dual tins? And if so, then you're taking arguably either Redis or Fergundes off the field at that point. Or do you make Jerusi a false nine? Like That's that, where I was going to go. There's your other option. So um, I, I like what we're doing. I, it, we're certainly playing a more exciting brand of soccer when we're moving forward with the ball. I, I still want to see us be faster in the counter attack uh, because just too many extra touches that are slowing up our counter. And we, we missed opportunities last night because of that. But when we are just playing possession-based attacking soccer, we're, we're actually creating more chances of being much more interesting on the ball than we were the first five, six games of the year. Yeah, and I mean, it's nice to not, like, even, you know, last night we lost, but it's nice to not just, like, slog through a game and go, all right, well, we're going to pass it back again and, you know, not even get it forward enough to horseshoe sadness around or anything like that. Um, Charles, how are you feeling about the shape? Uh, I I thought it actually looked pretty good last night. I think one of the reasons why that shape has kind of changed is, is in response to teams pressing us higher up the pitch. And I saw last night that using the three center backs really added some um, uh, some horizontal pressure on the press to where they weren't able to really cut across as quickly. And it left some gaps in the middle that Austin wasn't really able to exploit, but you could see, you could see how it could work. Um, I thought they also did a good job of, you know, playing at when they were playing out of the back of, of letting the Dallas defense come up and then try to hit it over them. Mm-hmm. If I think that was kind of the, I think that's the the big disconnect in how the formation's playing right now is that um, Austin just hasn't been able to get those to click. Um, you know, we saw a lot of balls that you know were too were beyond Rodney or or beyond Ragoni or you know exhoring Zardes runs completely, um, which is another problem of of just uh, players not looking for him to run beyond the beyond the defense, um, and that's really where you know if those can start happening. I think is when this. The, the in essence counterattack or at least playing into space and getting players running at the other team's goal would really work. Um, I, I think the question about where GUC plays becomes a more fundamental question of how much do you fit players into the system versus just to get like your best 11 on the pitch versus who is best at the individual roles in the system. Because I think the best 11 that Austin can about, can put out there involves Drew UC playing as a false nine. I don't know that that's his best use, but I do think that he would open up a lot of options for those dual tens that you were talking about because he's going to draw so much attention from not just defensive midfielders, but the, the, center, the center defenders who are going to have to follow him up the pitch or else they are going to give Drew UC time on the ball in attacking areas, and they just can't do that. Um, so I think that would create a lot of problems for the other team. I just don't think Josh is going to do that. Oh, I think there's a whole range of fun stuff we could do that Josh isn't going to get anywhere near, especially with a, you know, you play Jerusi as a false nine. You can kind of do the, the I mean, it's not the same, the 4-3-3 that Liverpool plays with Jurgen Klopp, but the um, 
twin tens and Drew Ucy as a false nine, you can rotate all three throughout those positions and basically yeah. rotating, try to interchange all game. And especially MLS defenders are going to lose those guys. Well, especially like if we're combining Rigoni, Driussi and Diego like that, because ultimately mm-hmm. I think that's a better use of Diego than, and Rigoni than just like putting them on sides. Um, I think they have the level of uh, skill and uh, tactical knowledge to be able to pull that off. Um, and I think we could actually create like a really fun, really dynamic team if they were really allowed the freedom to do that. But Wolf. And yeah, but Wolf. And then, you know, we got to have less of the striker conversation, which we'll get to in a second. But um, you mentioned kind of the balls over the top. And what I noticed a lot yesterday was Frisco would push onto Danny and Valencia. And so we had a lot of chances to kind of play that ball over the top, either to um, Zardes up top or to one of the wingbacks. And there were one or two instances where we did that. And Frisco still got the first um, whack of the ball, but then it just fell because they had abandoned that back half of the midfield. And our tens could pick it up and just run with it. And we almost had like a, a half fast break. And I wanted to see more of that, but it was pretty clear that players were either like told not to do that or weren't confident enough to, you know, um, I'm not going to criticize somebody for not trying to hit like a 60 yard ball to a um, wing back over the top or something nonstop. But um, I think especially if we get Drewsy back, cause that's kind of his like chaos scramble second ball area where he would really excel, pick it up and make a play. Um, but I mean, it's nice. We're, we're excited again. There are things that we see going forward that, that look nice. Yeah. So I, now let's talk about bad shit. Um, say, yeah. I haven't. Do some I, I, yeah. Hold on. I, I have not. I want to make that clear. Cause I think what you just said is important. There's a lot of negativity out there in the fan base right now. I get it. They're not playing great as far as results go, but there are a lot of positives that you're starting to see the last yep. three or four games. And you have to remember, wake We got Austin FC got every good result you could possibly get yesterday. Nothing changed as far as like, where the playoff line is for Austin after last night. There's there literally one win from being back in the playoff line. Um, Says more so, about the MLS than Austin. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's, I mean, MLS. Well, is it, also, it also it also to show like how even the West is though. Like if you look at the Western Conference, like yeah. it's brutal. Well, like every at- team, like every team is is good. I mean, you you can say that because Kansas City went into Seattle and won last week. Like every team can win every match. I mean. It's look at the East too right now. The East, if I'm not mistaken, three points separates uh, sixth from fifteenth in the East. Whoa. Yeah, it, it's it's wild right now. Um, yeah, so fifteenth is Toronto with twelve points. Inter Miami has fifteen points and they're sitting in sixth. That's the difference in the East right now. In the West, we are twelfth at ten points. Seventh place is Houston at fourteen. Sixth place is Portland at fifteen you're literally two wins away from being comfortably in the playoffs. So I I don't want people to freak out because I always go back to the Portland example from 2021 through 20 games, that Portland team had 25 points. Portland hosted MLS cup that year. (laughs) They hosted it and they went to PKs before losing the NYCFC. So this league is stupid. You get one good run for 10 games and all of a sudden you're vaulting up the the standing. So it's just, I'm not going to freak out yet. Plus with the open cup draw that we just got, uh, we really do have something tangible to play for beyond just making the playoffs too, which I think could also refocus the team a little bit, give them some extra drive and 
motivate through the rest of the season. Because if you look at last year's Open Cup, Orlando was not playing good soccer. They made an Open Cup run, won the damn thing, and then ended up making the playoffs. So it, it can certainly vault your season. I mean, let's hope. At, at worst, that gives us another uh, crack into CONCACAF Champions League if we, you know, whatever. If we win U.S. Open Cup, we finish seventh and either, you know, like losing away playoff game or win the first round and lose the second round i think we would call that a successful season roughly i, I if you host anything be host, hoist any kind of silverware beyond copa tejas this year that's that's automatically a good season uh, it, it's a trophy yeah, it's it's, 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 it, it's a trophy that is recognized that you hang banners for so it, i'm not sitting i'm not giving up on the mls season by any stretch we're still very early we're 33 through the season there's plenty of time to go but you just got a dream open cup draw to where you win two home matches now and you're in the semis that has to take focus and precedence in my mind uh, for the next little bit. Because remember, if you make it through these next two matches, the semifinals aren't until August. The final is in September. So you have plenty of time to recalibrate and focus elsewhere. Also with leagues cup going on, like that's potentially a lot of time for your guys to get some rest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like our draw is Seattle and LAFC either. It's um, very winnable games, whoever we're going to end up playing uh, if we beat Chicago. Yeah, it's either Minnesota or Houston in yeah. in the games at Q2. Like, you don't get much better than that. Um, you did bring up Copa Tejas, and I think this game didn't count towards that, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So really, we're just, you know, luring Houston and Frisco into a false sense of security. <laughs> I, no reason I, to worry. What what I kind of love about it is that <laughs> if Austin turns on for the last like Copa Tejas matches, the arguments about who actually should get Copa Tejas are unsolvable. Yes. And it is a perfect like college football from like 1990 like discussion that like everybody's right and wrong at the same time and the fan yeah. bases will never stop talking about it. All right, well, let me solve this one. Nebraska would have beat Michigan by 50 in uh, 1998, I think it was, where Michigan pretends they won a national title. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, glad we got that one solved. Yeah, but, I mean, this was easily avoidable. MLS just had to not do it. Like, <laughs> Or or it's just like, why is why not intentionally set it up to where all the teams that have cups like that just play each other more? Yeah. Like, why is Dallas not playing Houston and Austin the extra games? As and opposed set to up... Minnesota, yeah. Yeah, like, that's the part that doesn't make sense. Like, let's just make it regional and, like, promote these regional rivalries a little bit more. Because they could have done it with the same with the Cascadia teams. They could have made all the California teams do that together. You get to market rivalry week again. Like, fuck, it does it itself, people. Yeah, yeah this is not, <laughs> it's not rocket science. Uh, figuring out why they didn't do it might be, but... Um... We're not rocket surgeons here, so we'll uh, we'll go back to uh, to dissecting Josh Wolf's brain and uh, and the performance yesterday. Uh, do you guys have any other um, bright takes before we get into kind of the the nitty gritty and some of the darker stuff? The sun just came out, so I'm feeling magnanimous today. I was going to say this is way too cheery for you. Yeah, I know. I actually <laughs> thought the defense looked pretty good. To be honest, I think that like if you look at the goal that was given up, like that is an inch perfect pass that takes out four defenders perfectly that, you know, sometimes you just have to tip your cap to a good goal. Like the defenders well, probably could like do a little bit. Go ahead. Like the defenders probably could do a little bit better and maybe Stuber could come out better, but like you watch that and like, that's a pretty goal guys. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, what I, I mean, it comes off a bad turnover and we've been down a man for 40 minutes. Like they're not, like you said, inch perfect on it. Fine. It happens. Yeah. I'm more concerned with the defensive breakdown earlier in the game twice. Well, well on, the, on the crossbar, uh, that shot was wide open. Great pass. Should have been a goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then honestly, the one that for the sitter that Ferreira missed and sailed over the goal. Uh, I think it's the second half. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole nother thing with his celebration last night. Like dude, acting like you didn't miss three different terrible shots throughout the evening before you finally got that one home. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think the defense has been playing better. I, I like the shape that we're running. I thought Valencia was very good last night. Um, yeah. He cut out so many and, and yeah, he's moving. He's better moving the ball forward than he was. But for me, it was his defensive work. He'd cut out so many attacks, especially in the box um where you know they're easy to create fouls and he didn't um and uh, it was his best game in a uniform for austin last night i thought yeah he looks he looks so much more confident and um aggressive this year which i really like because that's something that i just like in central central midfielders is just dudes who are just willing to just be combative and like really and really like stick a foot in because that's that's what you need from that position and especially with danny you know valencia being able to provide a stronger defensive presence is what frees him up to attack yeah, and we need him to move the ball. Like we're yeah, he he has to. He's the only guy who can. Yeah, yeah. and I mean that's a problem in itself. But we have other things to fix before that. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to open up the uh, the striker conversation again. I'm, I'll start it off a little bit by framing. Um, Maxi scored a U.S. Open Cup game on Wednesday. Um, there are a lot of people saying he should have started again. I'll point out Maxi is well above thirty, and you know. That's a game that we're playing. What is it? Four games in ten days, or something like that. Four games in two weeks. We, something. We have a count. midweek game for minimum four straight weeks, and if we win the next Open Cup, it'll be five straight weeks of two games a week. Yeah, yeah. and Wednesday's away to Seattle. Yeah, yeah, and Zardes, Zardes is going to have to eat some minutes and start some games. Like, if you want to complain and say you should start at Zardes and save Maxi for. This game, fine, whatever, but Maxi played Wednesday. You almost kind of had to start Zardes. And if you really watched Wednesday night, Maxi was done in the 85th minute. Yep. He was exhausted. Well, he's done last night, even coming on as a sub. Yeah, and he worked his ass off last night. I thought yeah. his shift I thought his shift was very good last night, uh, especially playing down a man. He created a few chances for us and uh, played well, but I mean, he, he looked exhausted Wednesday night. Yeah, I just wanted to sort of pre-respond to the criticism of, yeah. well, Zardes is terrible, which he is. I agree. But, um, you know, we screwed that up in the offseason with the way we built the roster. And you just sort of got to deal with the problem now. <laughs> and I mean, there's no way we can play, especially with the injuries we have for the next month or two, without Zardes seeing some serious minutes. So um, it's going to happen. Sorry, people. On the Zardes front, I wonder if we have this conversation right now, if Ragoni lets the ball go and doesn't try the header last night. Yeah, I was just going to talk about that. Because if he, if he doesn't, Zardis is right there in the middle of the box, three yards out with a ball on his head. That's probably going to the back of the net. I, and the conversation shifts dramatically. I'm hesitant about the word probably, but I mean, it's a good chance. Uh, Charles, you want to go into this a little bit more? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that, you know... Ro- he, if you if you watch the replay of it, he's definitely positioned to score. I think that a lot of the a lot of the criticism is less about his play elsewhere on the field and entirely about his goal total. And I think that if Zardes had scored 
even two goals this season, I think our conversation would be very different than the zero because yeah. you know we ran a poll or we ran multiple polls actually um about which player was going to score first and of the four options Zardes is the only one who still hasn't scored yeah I, I look back at a play in the first half last night that went somewhat unnoticed nobody's talking about it with Zardes and it was a ball coming in on a somewhat a little bit of a counter he realized he had a man on his back and he realized he had a runner behind him in Gallagher. And he had a little flick with his head to find Gallagher in the box alone. Now, Gallagher wasn't able to set the, settle the ball down, so a defender got to him. But that was a really, really smart play by a holdup striker that everybody overlooked because it didn't result in the goal, right? He wasn't going to score there. He knew he wasn't going to score there. But he flicked the ball on to our, our leading goal scorer of the year right now. Um which is only offensive weird. threat. <laughs> yeah, our, our, our defensive back. Um, <laughs> but he does some little things that are really good. I'm not trying to say he should start every game because it's not that. He hasn't locked, no one has locked themselves into a starter position at the striker role on this team. Um, but he does some small things that are overlooked. And I think you're right, Charles, that it's, it's all because. He doesn't. He has that zero next to the the score line, and as a striker, that's what you get judged on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is he does have those moments, and you can tell like he's he's been a successful hold up striker. He knows what to do, and he has those moments. But I think they're inconsistent, or they don't happen enough, or you know he'll kind of go walk about for fifteen or twenty minutes. You won't really notice him, or something along those lines. So if he can do those sorts of things and still not score, I think people would be a little more lenient. Well, maybe I'm giving some fans too much credit, but um, uh, there was another moment last night because you guys mentioned uh, Rigoni leaving a header where there's um, a ball goes through, ball kind of pops really short back out. Zardes is all alone, uh, about eight yards out, gets a pretty good whack at it. Um, He doesn't hit it that hard. He hits it a good five, 10 feet wide. And it's a classic like chaos in the box. Jossie finds himself alone with the ball in the net and, you know, it's not like he tested the keeper or anything. So I think it's kind of those two combinations. Um, if he did kind of the hold up striker thing more and almost played as like a, a false nine type of player or um, bang the ball on more, I think people would start to see it, but it's, it's a little inconsistent for me. Yeah. And he needed to put that shot on net. That was arguably my biggest criticism here last night is the one that went wide. If, if it gets saved, it gets saved, but you got to test the keeper. You're right. Yeah. Make the keeper make a save. All right. Um, well, I mean, we kind of mentioned Aruti. Obviously, we're not going to have Bruin starting games because I think by his own admission, he can't do that. <laughs> um, so I think it'll be interesting since we sort of folded that in with the uh, Driussi conversation, how that gets handled throughout the year. And I mean, that might be something we see where we have so many games and um, there's so much uh, turnover and need for different bodies. Maybe we stumble on a solution there, or maybe Zardes picks it up and he starts banging in goals, and we're all happy. Um, who knows? Who knows? I mean, I mean, anything's possible. Um, yeah. Well, uh, go ahead. You know this with the new shape, and you guys talked about it earlier. How Jarusi's going to pull defenders with him wherever he comes in. I- I'm curious to see what opportunities do open up when Jerusi's back because it's exactly what defenders were doing and teams were doing when he was healthy is they were marking him two or three at a time and forcing anyone else on our roster to beat them. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what we had talked about it before that too. We need to get Rigoni going. We need to get yeah. Diego going. So, um, you know, you can mark him out, but then other people are going to step up and, you know, we need that to happen. We know that needs to happen. And, um, you know, we got a few months to figure it out, hopefully. Um, and uh, get into the playoffs, get our open cup wins. And um, I'm hoping we, uh, we look back on March and April and go, Oh, wow. Okay. Rem- look at how far we've come. But um we do have to get to the bad news, I guess, unless you guys have anything else kind of overarching or first half you wanted to talk about. So I have one thing I want to mention, and I think this is a bigger thing about sports and soccer in general, is that I thought Austin was playing well in the first half and created some good chances. And mm-hmm. I got nervous because they didn't convert at me. <laughs> and because and I always am nervous when my team is playing well, or I perceive that they're playing well. And it doesn't actually result in any goals because at some point the other team's going to play well or something else will happen that changes the game state like last night. And you kind of look back and you're, and you know, you're like, Oh, but it was only the 14th minute. It's like, well, yeah, but those goals count the same as the ones in the 88th. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's almost just basic psychology too. Like you're like, okay, well we're not putting these in. So that means it's more likely that the bad thing on the other end is going to happen. It's not true necessarily, but um, it definitely feels that way. Right. Yeah, yeah it's part of your suffering. Uh, not only do I not get the goal, but it means that they're more likely to get some terrible call or a uh, stupid set piece, grimy goal or something. Um, something terrible is going to happen. And uh, and it did. Weird. Um, <laughs> so uh, about, I think this is under a minute into the first half, Rodney comes in behind a guy. It's not a great tackle. Um, studs up. I mean, do you guys think it was a yellow? I thought for sure on that one. I didn't. One. I didn't have a problem with either one of his yellow yeah. cards. Well, the referee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the second one, um, we kind of get the ball on like a little half break, and he miscontrols it. And I have seen soccer players do this about ten thousand goddamn times, and it always ends this way, where you go, "Oh shit, I messed up," and then you try to overcorrect it, and you end up taking a guy out. And you know, sometimes it's just a yellow card, but uh, you got to have a little more awareness there for me but um yeah agreed both of them are are yellows for for you too yeah without a doubt i i the second one especially i thought the second was more egregious than the first one um you know it, it oh, was, see i thought the odd. first one from the stance i uh, thought the first one looked worse yeah yeah so, I, I, it, I don't know like i said the second one kind of happened on my the end of the field that i sat on so like literally i'm just looking straight down at it and he came in looked pretty high with the studs um I had zero problems with it. The moment it happened, it just, you knew the yellow was coming out. It was pretty clear. Yeah. What I mean, Elfat took, you know, zero time to pull it out too, but yeah. um, Live. I thought the first one was like almost an orange card, like a, a very angry referee could have sent him off. I watched the replay. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Um, The second one, initially I thought Rodney had just hit him with his hip. He didn't actually like connect with the foot, but the second I went back and watched the video and saw, you know, he doesn't actually stud him but you still kick the guy like halfway up his leg um, running free. You're going to get a yellow card for that every time. Yeah. Um, Charles, I don't know if you, anything else to add? No, I mean, I'll give, I, I didn't think Elfath had a, a great game, no. uh, but he was at least like decisive in his wrongness. Yeah. And I think he was sort of, we talk about this fair amount, like consistently bad. I don't think he was like just bad towards Austin. I think he was bad both ways. I, I have a weird thing with Elfath. So I, I still think he's, without question, the best referee in the league, which may or may not be saying much because we see MLS refereeing every week. I don't know. I watch um, Premier League refereeing, so 
Um, <laughs> I don't think he should be doing Austin games, period. The man lives several miles from the stadium. He was refereeing the preseason matches we were all watching on Verde Hill. Um, I just think there's a little too much closeness there. And when the spotlight is on, there could be a pressure to show that you're overcorrecting against Austin. Um, I'm not saying he was terrible last night, but when the game towards know, the last 15, 20 minutes were bad. Were, I thought everything up to that point was pretty much okay. Last 15 or 20 minutes of the game for him were not good. And I felt it tilted a little more towards Dallas than it did Austin. Um, so, and he kind of lost control of the match. Uh, I, I, there's just got to be some kind of a natural pressure there though to show that you're not being favoritism towards the hometown team that you do your preseason friendlies with uh, to get reps in as a referee. I, I don't like that. He does our games period. And I wish MLS would stop it. I mean, are you, are you just saying that's like a rule across the board? If you're... I just think it needs to be a rule across. Like it's just, it, yeah. to me, it's no different than if a guy lives in Manchester and then does one of the Manchester games, right? It's kind you of, you don't know anything about how PGMOL works. Do you? Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm telling you, I think it's dumb. They uh, all live in Manchester. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, or, or the weirder thing was like last season the the playoff the championship playoff final was refed by somebody who lived in one who literally lived in the city and made yeah. a really bad penalty call against them. And the announcers even mentioned they were like, "He may not be able to go home tonight." And it's yeah. like, well, that's that's why he shouldn't be refing the match. Yeah, like that's that's a very obvious thing about about you know as much as you could talk about being official well, being um uh uh or not being biased like you're always going to have a bias well that you makes way do. more sense for like a final too like just knock those people out you still have 25 other refs to choose from right yeah exactly yeah, the, the league has referees throughout the through up and down that don't happen to live in every city i mean you, you can make elfaf get on a plane for a week like he does every other game and fly him somewhere or hell send him to houston so he can drive for a weekend and play play the seattle match whatever uh, last night, but for especially a rivalry match, he was the wrong decision just from an optics point of view. Did we have Elfath for the uh, Western Conference final last year in I LA? Don't, I don't believe so. Okay, I was trying to remember who it was because um, there was also just when you said that, like, kind of overcorrecting thing where you know this it didn't end up mattering and we weren't going to win the game anyways, but there was a pretty obvious penalty that should have been called on um, Diego. Yeah. In the box in the second half. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's 80 something. Um, like... Sorry. According to football reference, he was not the official. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but I think maybe we saw a little bit of that with the penalty incident. So I guess you sort of skimmed on it already. Um, Brad, I think we can can kind of read your feelings, but we'll come back to you. Uh, Charles, for you, penalty, no penalty, cold light a day. I I thought it was some. I think it's the most blatant penalty that I've seen at Q two. I mean the the um, our player has the ball at his feet in the box, and a Dallas player runs through his back and takes him out. That's a penalty, stone cold, every time. How it wasn't called, how it wasn't reviewed, is absolutely beyond me. Um, it's it honestly it, it makes you feel like there is some kind of bias because that didn't get called because it's just so blatant and i can't wait to hear andrew Weeby and charlie davies get on youtube and talk about how great of a call it was 
um, uh, glutton for punishment, I guess. Um, that, that's a penalty anywhere else on the field. Or not well, a penalty, a thing. foul. I'm yeah. sorry, it's a foul. Yeah. It's a foul anywhere else on the field. And I'm sorry, I hate, I absolutely hate it when fucking announcers sit there and say, that's not enough for a penalty for me. It's either a foul or it's not. That and is if, the fucking rule. Yep. And sorry, I'm like going to change the rule. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. Anywhere else on the field, that's a foul. It's a free kick. So if it's a foul outside the box, it's a foul inside the box. He ran through Danny's back. No questions asked. Put it on the spot. It's a PK. It was a bullshit call. And yeah. I, and it's one of my biggest pet peeves with soccer is so many times you'll hear, well, that's not enough for a penalty. Bullshit. Bullshit. If it's a foul, I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter that it's in the box. The rules don't magically change. Well, and that's the thing, too, is it's not like – a 50-50, like, well, he maybe would have called that a foul, like you'll see a defender or will get like more of a more leniency on a call or something. It's not that. It's like it's a foul. Yeah. Period. Like there's no way around it. It's just, well, now we have this magical made up higher bar for fouls in the box, even though we all agree it's a foul. So um I agree with you. There's a huge disconnect there. And I do think Danny goes down looking for it a little bit, but like the guy ran him the fuck over. What's he supposed to do? Um, you know, if he goes down and then the ref doesn't call it, then we go, oh, well, Danny should have, you know, made more of it and made sure the ref saw it. Yeah. Well, and also, like, there was a there was a play by a Dallas player earlier who intentionally stood in the way of one of our defenders in the box and essentially tried to set a pick for another Dallas player to get in, gets trucked, mm -hmm. gets completely run over, and there's nothing called. And it's like, well, if you set the stage that something like that that looks like a foul and would probably be a foul other places on the pitch – doesn't also get carded for simulation, then you can't sit there and complain about like somebody trying to like dive and get a call. Like, and not yeah. not even to say that Danny dived, but like even the, like the most effort he could have put forward, he still would have been run over. Yeah. Like, I don't know where that idea comes from that like it's still not a foul. Well, and the other thing is he's calling the whole game very light touch. Um, a lot of, you know, nothing really got let go. There were a lot of whistles. It's not, you know, Millwall against the Leeds in the fucking 70s where people are stabbing each other and not getting cards or anything. It, like, everything was kind of ticky-tack. So, I mean, he clearly ran him over. Uh, there's no, I mean, he doesn't even really try to play the ball is the insane part. Like, it's one of those fouls that you look at and you go, how could somebody possibly do something that's stupid in the box? Like, that's how bad of a foul it is for me. And, and what's bad is that that wasn't even Elfath's worst call of the match. Because before that, Dallas had a chance where they ended up with um, – they essentially ended up with like a 2-1-1 in the box. And they got called back for advantage, for lack of advantage or something. Oh, yeah. And he yeah, gave out Valencia a card. Yellow card. Yep. The Valencia yellow card. And I was watching it while it was happening, and I was like, why is he calling this back? I was like, that's the most obvious advantage to ever play. Like, he literally cost yeah. them a goal by doing that. Yeah. And here's the thing. I think if – had the match stayed a draw, I think that would have been a big talking point, especially among Dallas fans, because they would sit there and be like, you took away a goal for no reason. Yeah, I guess I, I, he did not have his best game last night. He was bad. Um, but I, I still can't get over the non-PK for Danny. I, it, you mentioned that's the, obvious, the most obvious one you've seen. I, I, it's clearly to me one of the two or three that have just been, I don't know how you let it go. And I know the MLS standard is clear and obvious for them to go look it over. And maybe, you know, headquarters didn't think it was clear and obvious. I just don't see how you don't at least send him over to the line and go, look, this could be a PK. You might want to look at it. 
yeah, I, I, it's amazing to me they didn't draw the box last night. Yeah, um, and I think MLS is actually better than a lot of leagues about doing that and saying, hey, you know, I'm not sure. I think you messed this up. Go look at it. And it's not always like every single time he goes over, we get the call, right? Yeah. Um, MLS is actually pretty good about that. So, yeah, I agree. Um, I think send him over. Yeah. Let me go ahead. I, was I actually think part of why... No, I got one more thing. So the other thing that uh, I think made it, especially in the stadium, um, really caused the stadium to turn on the call was that they showed it on the video board after, and they normally don't do that. Oh and yeah, as I was looking at it like we saw, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was like, they're they're trying to publicly shame him right now, like, yep. and everybody saw it, and immediately everybody was like, oh, that's terrible. Like that was like you could tell palpably like the crowd had turned at that point, especially especially in the south end. Um, and I, I just thought it was kind of interesting that the club did that because they very clearly were like, this is a penalty, call the penalty. Yeah, no, good. Like, I'm all for the club actually, like, putting their thumb on the scale like that. Yeah, um, it's home field, use it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, same. You know, whatever little advantage we need. Um, and I think that's also kind of where Elfath loses control of the game. The two moments, um, we just talked about the, the non advantage where, and I mean, yeah, the guy kicks the ball in the net, maybe we can defend it, but it's like, 70 plus percent chance probably a goal um oh yeah no at least and 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 the penalty so um i think that's where it really started to slip for him but i mean let's let's walk back a little bit and do a little hypothetical if we actually get that call who takes the penalty so this was an interesting debate that i saw uh, today it's one of two players it's either maxi or it's rigoni yeah i, I don't think it's you know, either I, I don't think anybody else has a realistic shot of taking that PK. I'd probably rather see Maxi take it uh, since he's our striker on the field, but I could see the argument for Rigoni there too. Um, do either of them have, I mean, do you know off the top of your head, either of them like long kind of penalty records? I could definitely see Rigoni as like a, a penalty guy because he's well, very He took one happy. in playoffs. Okay. Rigoni took one in the playoff and buried it. So we know he could do it. Yeah. Oh, in the shootout? Yes. Okay. Um. My thought there would have been ring because it's a captain's penalty. You go up, it's a leadership thing. It's not about how good you are at penalties, but um, obviously a situation didn't happen, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and uh, hopefully we'll get a, a clear answer. Um, do you have any thoughts on if we had won that, if uh, Danny should take it? Either no, of you? no um, I think it's I think it's so, Maxi Rigoni. Yeah, no, I think it's Maxi Rigoni. So as far as I can tell, Rigoni has never taken a penalty kick in like during a match. Mm-hmm. Like outside of shootouts, I'm not sure about Arudi. I think generally, okay. Here's if I was commissioner of soccer or in charge of FIFA for the day or whatever, I would change the rule to where whoever draws the penalty has to take the penalty because I just think that should be the way it is. I um, love that rule. I personally probably would have sent Ragoni up, but I'm not sure. I, I don't know that I have a strong opinion about uh, about him taking it over Arudi. Okay. Well, I mean, hopefully we'll get one next match and we can figure it out. Um, and we'll, we'll get an answer. Um, I love, I, would... I love that idea for a rule change, by the way. Like, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> thank you. Beautiful. So um, there's always a bunch of, and we're not going to, we could do an entire episode on penalty psychology, but um, there was a whole thing back in, in the good old days for Arsenal, where whenever Thierry Henry won a penalty, he refused to take it. Um, because he thought it was like the, the actual like foul was in his head. 
And um, he didn't want to think about that. You need somebody with a clear head to step up and take it. And um, I thought that I always thought that was interesting. Um, and I've seen some other teams do it. Uh, like what level of injury would you have to have on the player who gets fouled to not take the penalty? Like, do they have to come off? Yeah. Or is it just like you're visibly like screwed yeah. up walking around? No, I, th- no, I think they have to get subbed off. But yeah. but here's the here's the better question uh, as part of the subsection rule. You can sub a player on to take the penalty then. As long as you sub that player out. Okay. So it doesn't have to be an injury sub. You could just do any old sub. Just like, hey, yeah. I have this great guy at penalties on my bench. It, kind of like a closer type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, like, like you can do that in, uh, at least in the NBA, you can do that for free throws, but the player just can't come back in. To, also, to answer your other question, Maxi is two for two in his MLS career penalty kicks in game. Okay. Yeah. Um, good. So we have some people who could who could plausibly take them. Um Obviously, it would have been nice to see that, um, but um, there's another moment I wanted to talk about. Actually, no, this is after the goal, so let's do the goal. I mean, we kind of touched on it, but um, bad turnover, great pass. Stuver comes, Ferreira buries it. Um, do you guys want to talk about the actual goal or the after the goal? I mean, the after the goal is way more interesting than the goal itself. The goal was just – it was pretty. I mean, it was against 10 men. Yeah. I thought the team played very, very well with 10 for as long and it held out. And I thought, quite frankly, I was sitting there in the sands going, God, we're going to get out of here with a point. Yep. Um, and so it's then, your fault. You yeah, thought the thing you can't think. Yeah, I know. Uh, but then, you know, we talked about it. They made the interperfect pass clinical finish. It is what it is. Yeah. The celebration, by the way, the celebration is way more interesting. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think the only, Stuber, it's a good finish. Yeah. I mean, I think the only interesting discussion about the goal is that, um, you know, we did make two subs right beforehand, including bringing yep. on uh, Radonovich. And I Radovanovich. don't know if... Oh, I'm sorry, Radov- Radovanovich? I'll learn that eventually. Yeah. We just um, call him Rado. Just call him Rado. Yeah, Rado. Some of you guys didn't uh, uh, grow up playing soccer with kids from the Balkans, and it shows. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I think that I think there's an interesting discussion about whether or not um, to make a change to the back line that late when it's playing well and working. Um, but I don't think that's... I mean, I saw a lot of people who were like, why weren't the subs earlier? And blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I, I don't know that making the subs for the back line was the smart decision because I, it was working. What choice? So I, I, I thought it was more to protect against going to nine with Valencia in there because mm. Valencia was on a yellow. And you don't really have a natural choice except for Jafal off the bench to bring in a Valencia spot, which if you'd brought in Jafal, it'd have been totally fine. But it looked like we were yeah. still trying to stay pretty defensive, so that means leaving Ring in and pushing him up into Valencia's role. And that's why the change of the back line. Yeah, I'm kind of on both sides here where your back line's held out, you don't change it, but also you get in Radovanovich, you get some extra height, you get an extra yellow card. Um, you move Ring into the midfield so you can get a, a midfield yellow card too. Um, I don't know. I don't think that's one I'm going to beat Josh up on, but I'm certainly here for the argument that it wasn't the smartest thing to do too. I didn't mind it. Yeah. I, I I didn't mind it because I thought we were trying to get the yellow off, and I thought we were still trying to shore up defensively by keeping Ring on the field, putting him in that central defensive mid spot that he's so good at. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, we got beat by a really good pass. It happens. Yeah. It, it just it just happens sometimes. Uh, did you guys think he was offside in real time? No. Okay. Not, yeah, I didn't no. either. Well, I I can't really tell offside because of where my seats are anyway. But no. True. Yeah. 
Um, all right. Well, uh, who wants to let, Brad, you seem re really gung ho about this celebration. So let's let you, uh, start off with your, uh, commentary on it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not one to get mad about it. Right. He, here's the deal. Our, we have fans and I think fans around the world will get so mad when a player holds up a Jersey or taunts them or whatever, totally forgetting that for the previous 89 minutes, you taunted this guy all fucking night long. Oh, way longer than that. Yes. <laughs> right? We, we, I, it's Turnabout's fair play, man. Turnabout yeah. is fair play. The only thing I'll say is I thought he went about it too long. That's yes. when you start asking for problems. Yep. And that can escalate things in a stadium to, honestly, a point last night they got embarrassing with people throwing some cups. Um, and, by the way, perfect example of why they make you pour your drinks in a plastic cup supporter section. Um, but – other than that, not proving them right. I hate that rule. Yeah, I, but that's why. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, I thought it was fine. I thought it was fair play. I thought it was funny. The only, I just, I go back to, dude, we're not going to talk about those two or three that you missed and skied over this uh, crossbar. Granted, you made the one you needed to make, but you kind of played like shit most of the night, bud. Yeah, well, and he also famously missed an absolute sitter in the playoff game last year, too. So, oh, And he skied the free kick with the 90th minute in the playoff game last year, too. Yep. That was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a little bit of a bifurcated relationship with Ferreira since he's also a U.S. player, and he did not have a good World Cup, yeah. um, which we talked about on this podcast, so we're not going to dive into it again. Um but yeah, he was he was not firing at the end of last year. And yeah, I thought he had roughly a, a fairly bad game yesterday up until you know great goal but i mean we'll say this about strikers all the time right like clint dempsey used to do this all, you know he would show up for the first five minutes and the last five minutes of the game do absolutely nothing in between score two goals and walk out man of the match yeah um so but, i think going back to the point about like the players having to suffer taunting the entire match there were people singing the fuck dallas fuck frisco an hour before the match started yeah while the dallas players were on the field and I think the thing for me is that, like, look, he scored. He gets to talk his shit. Like, yeah. he did his thing. Like, I, I think that's fair. I thought it was more interesting that he showed off his name on the jersey to the support, to the away supporters, more than showing, like, the front or, like, kissing the badge or showing anything about the team. It was such a me celebration that going back to talking about Elfath losing control of the match he allowed go way too long yes i think that was actually a big part of why why stuff got thrown was because that took a long time that was a minute at least of the dallas players celebrating there uh funnily enough the mls uh twitter account tweeted that he had gone over to celebrate the goal with yeah. the dallas supporters uh and yeah no. like there was like an owner's <laughs> box like up in that corner but that's not where he was facing um but yeah i mean you scored. You get to talk your shit. Like that's like if you don't want somebody to talk shit, then don't let them score. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it does not bother me when players give a little back. Uh, by the way, the reason he was showing the back of the jersey instead of the front is because he's going to be in Italy here in a few months, so he doesn't have any reason to show the front of the jersey. Fair. Um, but yeah, it's I, I sometimes think supporters get a little too into themselves, and, and I say this. I'm, I'm a guy who will go and heckle the hell out of players. I will do it all day long. But if a player scores and gives us something, gives me a little something back, I'm going to clap for you. And it is what it is. And it's funny to me. So I, I just, I don't get offended by it. 
I, I'm with you. I think Elfath should have probably stopped it a little earlier because then you start escalating into problems in the stadium, dangerous, especially when alcohol gets involved. But, yeah. man, you know, hold your jersey up, whatever. If that's what makes you happy, that's what makes you happy. You earned it. Yeah, I actually thought... The the more embarrassing cup throw was when Aviola was faking an injury at the end and somebody threw a cup at him. Uh, for me, it was in the midfield yeah, from the one of the, the expensive can. seats who threw it a full can yep. onto the field. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he actually got it onto the field too. There was nobody like really near it, which is nice. But um, yeah, you could tell those were uh, those were pretty good seats. Yeah. Um, on the celebration, I'm you know a semi-professional internet troll. So if somebody wants to like talk a lot of shit after they did something well, go for it. Um, I would actually probably have been more insulted if he didn't celebrate it at all. Um, kind of the walk away thing like, oh, I, this is beneath me even like I could do this whatever I want type of thing. Um, I'm with you guys. The referee let it go on too long. There was also an argument I saw that I don't think should have been called, but I think it's an interesting point. Um, he takes the jersey off which is a yellow card automatically and kind of the length and amount of taunting he did. Theoretically, you could have given him a second one um, because they're so far apart because of how long it went on. Now, granted, like I'm not saying that should have happened and I think it would have been funny, but like if that happened to us, I would have lost my shit. If, you know, some, one of our players goes down and like over celebrates and gets two yellows for it. Um, I don't think you should call it, but it's an interesting point about um, how Elfath lost the game again and, and really never should have let that go on. Yeah. Um, on Ferreira's part, like you just scored a goal in an MLS game in the regular season in May, and you just did your, like, I just scored a World Cup winner celebration. So I think that says a little bit more about him and where he thinks his peak is. Um this is the best I'm ever going to do. This is the greatest goal I'm ever going to score is, you know, against Austin FC. So it's, it's a little bit of a compliment on our end. Yeah. I just, Emmy Rigoni tweeted or put something on Instagram. Basically it was like football doesn't forget. Yeah. And I'm just hoping knowing last night was not a quote unquote Copa Tejas match, right? We could theoretically be in the same situation later in the year where we're going into Frisco with Copa Tejas on the line in the final game of our set of games and something similar could happen, but in our, our, for us. And I would love, love that shade to go right back in their face at the end of the year. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, revenge is a dish best served cold. Uh, yeah. I do want to touch on, on Ariola too, but uh, I wanted to put in another note too about the Elfath losing control of the game, especially after the goal and the celebration and everything. We get a deep throw um, in their end late in the game. And they had, you know, they had people faking injuries left and right. And um, I think it was the right back maybe uh, had just like kind of limped off fake injury, whatever. We see it all the time. Um, and he grabs a water bottle and he's literally throwing it, like spraying water at the feet of, I think it was Danny who was taking the throw in. and was like standing in front of him pretending he yeah. was like, uh, wouldn't let Danny take the throw in. I was just looking at Elfath like, what the hell are you doing? Like, at least yell at the guy like he should be carded, but... Um, it, it wasn't a great night for him and, and, uh, yeah, I thought the last 10 minutes for Elfath were a shit show. Yeah. That, that was where he lost the game for me. Um, also, how did, how do we get nine minutes of injury time? I was trying to look back and think about how we got to that and could not think of how we ended up with nine minutes. Well, there was a ton on the goal. There was a ton on the red card. 
Um, you got a bunch of subs. You got Paul Ariola, who, by the way, I thought was injured. He was on their injury report list. Well, um, in the they stadium, the they game. announced him as being out. Yeah. yeah. Pre match. So I was very surprised to see him come on. Yeah. Um, I didn't think he did anything other than kind of fall over and bitch a lot, but yeah. Um, you know, oh, he's that's Paul. Yeah, yeah, that's Paul. Uh, I did get to do my traditional pretending he's Paul Feinbaum yelling at him type of stuff. So that was always <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, he didn't do anything, but like the whole, there was a bit, I think it was after the goal was scored where he like, you know, the play kind of starts to go up the other end and then he just like kind of fake like hobbles and then everybody yells at him. And then he like gets up and yells back at the crowd. Like, what did you think they were going to do, Paul? You've been playing professional soccer for 15 years. Like, is this the first time this has happened to you? Oh, well, yes, yeah. but he, I mean, he's been playing for teams where they don't really get that angry about stuff. So, or yeah. against places that don't have that kind of fan base. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, the him him going down, clutching his right leg, getting the cup thrown at him, which caused him to immediately spring up healthy. And yep. then he jogged halfway to midfield, holding the other leg. Yes. When he went down, yeah. was really next level shithousing. I, I so will not even, yeah, not in a good way, though. I will say, I am so happy our guys are like, no, fuck that. If you're going to play down, if you're going to play down, we're just going to take advantage of even man for a minute. Oh, yeah. yeah just kept playing. 100%. I fucking loved it. Because there are times where I think we play a little too passive, and we were just like, no, screw you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, like, you could tell it was pure faking. And he probably, like, told him when he went down, like, ah, oh, I'm not really hurt or something. Like, he's that arrogant. And, yeah. um, you know, generally an insult to Megan Rapino's haircut. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, fine. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we played through, like, kind of generally, unless somebody's, like, actually, actually hurt. If you're, like, 90-plus and losing, I'm kind of fine playing through with that. Um, especially if the guy goes down, like, after the ball gets cleared out. Take your whack at it. Um, the ref's not going to give you the extra time, probably, so it, it's almost incumbent upon you to attack there. But, um, yeah, I'm glad they did it. Um, we did have kind of a couple chances there at the end. Um one ball kind of scorched through and we almost smack it in. We almost got the Lima goal. I, the one that scored it through, I thought we were going to get. Yeah. And, and then when Lima had it on his foot, I don't know if you saw at the top of the box on the other side, Gallagher was begging for it. Yep. Begging for the ball. And he was wide open and Lima never picked his head up and looked at it, but it was really the one that was floating around right outside the six yard box. Um, and no one could get on the end of it. That drove me insane. Because yep. the ball was just sitting there for a solid, it felt like two seconds. All you got to do is like get a foot to it and get yeah. it towards the goal when it's in. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's not a Copa Tejas match. And um, I think we've been playing better, or at least the past couple of games I've seen, we've looked better. So I'm trying to take the positives here. My doctor says it's good for my blood pressure. I, I, I walked out of there last night, not mad. I, I don't know. And it's weird because we lost and now people are saying, well, that's a losing mentality. I'm just like, take things into perspective down a man for most of the game played really well, probably should have gotten a point, but we didn't. And ultimately, I guess also I just, and maybe this is because I don't really follow European soccer. Right. So for me, it's not every game isn't make or break because I understand MLS and understand MLS is stupid. <laughs> it is. That's the brand. Yeah, and it, and that's that's the point. It's MLS is going to come down to decision day, and most likely for the last two or three playoff spots, you're going to have seven teams fighting for those last two or three playoff spots that have a legitimate chance to make it. That's the way this league works. So just embrace it and understand that this season's stupid, 
you get on a little eight, nine game run and boom, you're into everything. Yeah. I mean, all we got to do is make the playoffs and, you know, you read the table out earlier. It's not out of the realm of possibility. We have a good June and we're fine. Yeah. And you know, the other thing when you talk about just the way this league works, I think in, we peaked early last year. Yep. We peaked very early last year, but we were so comfortably ahead that we finished second in the West. This could be a situation where it's just the opposite. We don't really play well out of the gate, but we start peaking later. And that's actually what you want in MLS. You don't want to peak early because yeah. you don't, you crash out and burn. You want to make a run. You want to be playing your best soccer in September or October. I mean, I, I come back to the and like watch this game and go, oh, I feel a lot better about this team than like when we played Colorado and we got a point out of that game. Oh, completely. So we, we created threatening chances. Yeah. And I mean, there's still some fine tuning and some tweaking. We're not moving the ball fast enough. We're not taking enough risks moving the ball forward. We're taking the safety pass too much. Fine. But we're there instead of, you know, I don't even know what the hell these people are doing. So well, um, the things that went wrong are fixable, I think, largely. Kevin Morris, great Twitter follow, by the way, um, tweeted something out this morning. He goes, after we get past the Seattle match, there's a run of MLS games that we should be able to take advantage of that could change the way we look at the standings between next Saturday and June 10th. The five MLS matches are at Houston, home against Minnesota, home against RSL, at Sporting KC. That There's a chance in those four games, and then home against Dallas, and then home against Houston after that. That's six games right there, four of them at home, that you could plausibly take anywhere between 12 and 14 points. You punch a playoff ticket with that. Easy. Yeah. It, and you're right back into everything if you can somehow get 12, 14 points out of those. Well, and in theory, we should have everybody back by then. Mm-hmm. For the most part, except for Jerusi. We won't have Jerusi for the first few games of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Diego was on the bench last night. I was, especially when we went down to 10 men, there was no way in hell we were going to see him. Um, I would have been surprised probably anyways, if he played more than a couple minutes, but it was nice to see him at least get to that point. Yeah. Josh said last night that he wasn't going to play period. Yeah. Yeah. Which why put him on the bench then? But I mean, who do you put in his spot? I mean, with everybody out, who do you fill the roster with? I mean, it just seems weird to put somebody on the bench. You're not going to play. Well, we do that with Versano every week. <laughs> I I legitimately wonder if Versano is kind see of like... Versano play? <laughs> I I really want some team at some point to just have a backup keeper who's just like, but it's like a performance act, and like he's literally <laughs> just there for like for the vibes, and it's just like some dude. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's more or less the end of Tim Krul's career, but uh, we're we're not going to jump into that one. Um, he basically coasted around for like two or three years, where all he would do is like talk shit on the bench and come in and save penalties here and there. Uh, it's a great gig if you can get it. It's the uh, it's even better than being like a backup punter on a shitty NFL team. No. Yeah. Um, okay, you guys want to do the uh, the format stuff? Let's go. All right, um, Charles, you can lead off. Stock rising. I think Ragoni still. Okay. You know, I, I think playing him on the left has looked really. He's looked much more comfortable. He's looked much more aggressive getting into the box and making runs in, which I think this system. Uh, is kind of predicated on, um, and I think that's really kind of unlocked like the attacking uh, ability of the shape is is and you know I know we uh, 
uh, we uh, commiserated that he kind of like robs Zardes of a, a goal scoring chance, but you know, you have to get bodies in the box and Rigoni is somebody who can get his hand on a ball in the box that other people can't. And, you know, we're going to need him continuing to do that and playing well in the system. Yeah. And I'm, by the way, I'm totally fine with an attacker attacking the ball and trying to score. Um, Wait, that's allowed. Yeah. Well, oh. don't tell Josh, but okay. Um, it's, it's always funny how Josh's coaching is completely opposite of Josh, the player. Yeah. Um, but Hey, we're, we're just along for the ride. Uh, Brad stock rising. Adam Lundqvist. Okay. Yeah. Good uh, choice. I was ready to throw him under a bus in the Amro Tarek category when, uh, when we took our little hiatus. So I think that's a good choice. Uh, yeah. I thought the last few games he's been playing well. Um, he's really becoming a threat down the left side, uh, whipping in some really nice crosses. And I love, I mean, each Wednesday night and last night, he's had two rocket shots on goal on a volley. And last night's was cutting towards the corner. Hell of a save by the keeper for yeah. Dallas to make that save. Cause when it left Lundqvist's foot, I could track it and I thought it was going into the corner. Um, so I, I think he's been really good in creating some dangerous spots for us and um, opening up the field in a solid way down that left side. I think he either needs to change his shoes or cut his hair. Cause he looks too much like ring. <laughs> And it's really confusing live. Uh, he looks but, so much like the error Paul from Breaking Bad. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> but like from far away, they're close enough and kind of like body shape that you're like, ah. Yeah. And they turn around okay. and you see the long last name versus the, the ring. Um, I'm going to go with Valencia. We kind of touched on it earlier. Um, looks a lot better. Looks a lot more confident moving the ball forward, making defensive plays, not just hacking out fouls or anything. Um. Yeah, I think he was good, and uh, it, it looks like that's something that he can move going forward, and I think this is maybe a better role for him that he's a little more comfortable in, and sometimes, you know, players just need that. Um, and he was he was good, and like I like that we actually have stock risings again, too. Uh, instead of just naming the entire roster or naming, like, people who aren't playing as stock risings or yeah. um, the other teams, uh, whoever had the other team's players on fantasy or whatever – um, we have real ones again, so that's nice. Nice to be back too. Um, Brad, how about your uh, stock falling? I mean, I'm assuming this is a three-way Jossie's artist for all. Uh, of us. It is for me. Yeah, I I don't know how it can't be. I didn't I, honestly. He was the only real negative performance for me on the field last night. Um, I didn't see anybody else that had an objectively terrible game, but Jossie was just not good last night. I mean, I think you can do the um, Gallagher isn't world-beating superstar. Yesterday, he had some bad touches. Um, he's not, you know, scoring all of our goals. So, I mean, in that sense, he's not as high as he was. But, no, he didn't have a bad game or anything. Um, I actually thought, uh, not even on the goal, but I thought Stuver was a little weak um, playing out of the back. He looked like he got a little flustered at about 20, 30 minutes to go. Um, but, again, you know, like, we're not going to pick on him. That would be a, hey, we have to fill out three stock falling. So, type of so thing. <laughs> I thought he got put in bad situation after bad situation last night. He did. We kept, we kept passing the ball back to him, knowing that Dallas was playing a high press, and then no one opened themselves up to help him out and give him a place to go with the ball. Mm -hmm. It was just – we kept reverting back to – go back to Stu, go back to Stu. There was one where Siscante rocketed one at him, and I thought it was oh, yeah. going to the damn goal for a second. Yeah. Um, I don't know – I know we have the drill at play out of the back, play out of the back, but there were times he just had nowhere to go with the ball. Well, I wonder too if that's partially like 
we practice playing out of the back in a four and now we're in a three and people just don't know where to go when it's a high pressure thing or, and it's just a growing pains at this point. Yeah, potentially. Um, but yeah, anybody else you guys want to highlight for, for stock falling? I think it's Zardes. I, uh, and then if I wanted to pick nits, those two. Yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't want to include Zardes in stock falling just because I don't know that the stock can get me lower. Um, I, I agree. I thought Stuber got put in a lot of bad situations, especially by Cascante's. Some of, like, some of Cascante's back passes were really bad. Um, and uh, the other one I thought was, you know, you mentioned Gallagher losing. Gallagher lost the ball and lost the ball just a couple times, just really badly, and turned it over in his own half. And that's something that we've seen happen against Dallas before and cost us goals. Um, it just, it. I, I thought that a lot of the errors were player individual errors and not structural errors yeah good we can we can deal with that um it's much better than having a system that doesn't work at all <laughs> uh and yeah i mean i think the thing with gallagher too is like they were breaks when we were actually looked like something was going to happen so it was more timing than they were like these egregious horrible touches or something yeah. um charles you told me before the show that you had a fantastic uh, moment of suffering. What was that? So my moment of suffering about the Austin FC match took place in Manchester. Bear with me. Uh, in, in injury time yesterday, Alejandro Garnacho scored to seal a 2 nothing win for Manchester United against Wolves. And at that moment, I lost hope in Austin winning. And this doesn't seem like, you know, I know this seems anecdotal. It's not. 32 times, I'm sorry, 33 times, Austin FC and Manchester United have played on the same day or on consecutive days. The number of times both of them have won is two. (laughs) (laughs) Just twice. How far did you run that step back As soon as I saw the final result of the United match... Since uh, since Austin FC's inception. Okay. Wow. Um, I'm surprised that's not more actually. But um... <laughs> so as soon as I saw the the, the win, I knew Austin was going to lose. So really, we should blame Wolves for not playing better. Um, in that match. Yes, hundred percent. We should blame Wolves. Okay. Um. So we got to figure this one out. Uh, United doesn't play midweek, do they? I don't think so. They should be no out. Uh, no, they're out of midweek matches since they got knocked out of Europa. Okay, so they're not going to completely screw us over in U.S. Open Cup. We don't have to worry about that one. Uh, no. Good. In, in two weeks, a week and a half, yeah. Okay. Uh, no. Nope. It's a lot of suffering. Um, <laughs> anybody who's ever been to a, a Northern England or Manchester knows there's, there's plenty of suffering to go around. Uh, Brad, how about you? All right, so it's actually before I even got into the stadium yesterday. Uh, I, I'm getting I, really esoteric with these. I typically walk up into this because you know you and I sit one section from each or next to each other. So there's that kind of hidden entrance where the uh, new train stop's going to be. Yep. And uh, I go in there because it's just easier. There's never a line. But as I'm walking up, all I hear are the damn drums of the Dallas supporters echoing throughout outside and then of course inside 
And my seats are pretty damn close to the visiting supporter section. So I will blatantly tell you the games I hate the most at Q2 are Houston and Dallas games because you literally have to scream to the person that you bring to the game to have a conversation when you sit up there because of the way the drums echo off of a tin roof uh, or a metal roof that we have. So uh, my, my moment became two and a half hours worth of suffering dealing with that bullshit uh they were um i'll give them a little bit of credit i assume it was mostly the drums but they were fairly loud and i know this isn't exactly how it works but um seth usually sits in on those meetings and decides if people are allowed to bring instruments or not i know he isn't the one who actually makes that call but i'm going to blame him for it um (laughs) i I know the background (laughs) to this one so i can tell you okay Go ahead. Uh, the background is there is a an agreement among the Texas teams that for regular season matches, they're allowed to bring in instruments for reciprocal rights when you go to their stadiums. Okay. Uh, we don't allow it for any other team in the league. Uh, and that's because fans that sit up there complain every time that the instruments are there um, yeah. because of how loud it is. And for folks out there saying, well, you, you know it's going to be loud. Say, Y'all don't know. If you don't sit up there, you do not understand how bad it is. Um, you know, and I saw somebody in Slack today on Los Verdes Slack was like, people need to sing along around the stadium. I can't sing with those very, are we Lamergo when I have no idea what they're playing? No, we was, always, <laughs> that was the case last night. Yeah. We uh, always end up singing, uh, Austin FC or Merga tunes to whatever the hell the, uh, away people are drumming. Oh, well, my funny thing was last night at one point, both bands were playing the exact same song. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of cracking up at that. I could yeah. barely hear Lamurga like in a break because for one second or two, they stopped drumming and I heard what Lamurga was playing. Oh shit. They're playing the same thing. Yeah. So that was actually kind of hilarious, but yeah, that my moment turned into two and a half hours worth of it. And Oh great. We get to do it back to back home games again in June. Yeah. But I mean, those are Copa Tejas matches. So we'll win those. Um, I mean, at least one of them. Yeah. Got to win at least one. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of mentioned mine earlier. It was the uh, split second where I see Rodney miscontrol that ball because I know exactly what's about to happen and yellow card number two is about to happen. Um, feels a little bit obvious, but it is kind of like the the calm before the storm, but it's so much worse because you can see it coming. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have a whole lot more to say about that, but I mean, I guess let's wrap on this too. We didn't play too bad with 10 men. Um, we were in the game. We weren't, you know, creating tons of chances, but um, the ball was going both sides of the field. No, it's the second best we've ever played with 10 men, in my opinion. Only one being better was when we beat Montreal last year, mm-hmm. when we scored a man down. Um, yeah. But, I, you know, in 2021, we'd go down a man, and we looked like we had no clue what we were trying to do. Um, did Josh I thought come we... out and say that we didn't practice with men down or something? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So I thought yes. we were fine last night. You know, for I mentioned earlier, for 30 minutes, we looked good. And then we just got beat by one really good pass. A team should be able to score a goal on you with that much time bet down a man. They, they should be able to put one past you. So ultimately, I thought we would look fine. Yeah, uh, hopefully we don't have to do that again too often. No, but, I, thought, uh, I thought it worked really well. Uh, no, I was kind of surprised because uh, after the the red card, they showed Josh talking to Alex Ring on the sideline, and you could very clearly hear Josh say, "Should we go four four one?" To talk about the tactics of changing things up, and I don't feel, feel like we really changed it up that much. 
Um, I think fortunately because of just the way the team was set up, going down a man wasn't as difficult of a change. Yeah. Um, Because we were still sort of playing that system. Yeah. Um, Which I guess is nice a little bit. Um, Which did also remind me, we have an additional kind of stock falling, which is Josh still refuses to fucking wear Verde. And these results keep happening. So... I, I think I also know the answer to this, and this is going to be weird, but I'm 95% certain there's a weird MLS rule that you cannot wear as a coach the same primary color as your kit. And because the back of our jerseys are Verde this year, he can't really be wearing a Verde shirt on the sideline. A vast MLS conspiracy against Austin, you say? Potentially, yes. Okay. Um... But I, I'm 95% certain that rule exists. <laughs> And like, I'm not making that up. Like I, 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 like, I ran it by what? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I ran it by wore... Seth. I ran it by Seth, and Seth was like, "Yeah, I'm, I think you're right." Well, no, because we he would wear Verde when we had mint kits last year, or are they but, pretending but the, that's but a, it's different a different color? It's a different shade. It doesn't match. What the fuck? So we like, got to go like do shade bashing about the Verde against have him wear seafoam. He loves his but little the thing seafoam is, pullover. when he wore the mint, you'll remember most of the time. But the seafoam counts as mint though. But no, no, no. But if he wore. But if he wore Verde, it was typically if we had mint, he had like black over the Verde. He would do that when we All had right, the this minty. Is fucking with my brain. <laughs> yeah, it would be like a quarter pulled zap. It'd like be a quarter zip or something over that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's some weird ass MLS rule that goes along with that. Well, he had the pullover yesterday though, so he could have worn Verde underneath it. Well, yeah, no, that's on Josh. Okay, thank you. That's all I'm trying to get to. We blame well, Josh. He's... There's a conspiracy theory against us. I got almost all the fan shit done already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, as Charles. somebody who tracks Josh Wolf's shirt color, uh, yeah, no, as somebody who tracks Josh Wolf's shirt color, uh, he hasn't worn the Los Versus, he hasn't worn Verde with the Los Versus kit since the Colorado home match. And I'm fairly sure he had the black pullover over that because I've had difficulty trying to identify his shirt color all season. Yep. And I really do wonder if he was skirting the rules by having the black pullover on now. And God damn it. We need Phil West to ask this. <laughs> in a press conference. <laughs> we'll, we'll lobby for that. Um, I don't know. Uh, do they have like a Q and a or like a Dropbox or anything on the, the striker where you can ask Phil to ask a question. Oh, we're not in touch with Phil. We can make this happen. Okay. I didn't know if he needed to set up like a bot and spam his email or something like that. No. Okay. Um, good. Good. Uh, anything else you guys think we missed? Do you want to touch on? No, nothing for me. I'm just, uh, I'm really as a fan trying to get to next Saturday. Like I have less than zero expectations for Wednesday night. Um, Seattle's not playing well right now. They, they lost at home to Kansas City last week. They lost midweek at the Galaxy and U.S. Open Cup. They got lucky as hell to win last night in Houston. Um, I don't know if y'all saw that, but the one nothing win was when Houston went down two men, including Hector Herrera. Um, oh. So Seattle's not playing fantastic soccer right now. However, we don't typically play well in, the, in Cascadia. Um, you know, we got a draw in season one. Last year, Seattle blasted us up there. Uh, but I'm just talking about Vancouver, Seattle, and Portland as a whole. It's not a places that we typically do well. So if we could somehow sneak a point, I'd be ecstatic. My expectations aren't very high for Wednesday night, but to me, the chance to make a run and get back into MLS um, and really get some confidence going with U.S. Open Cup too starts next Saturday at home against Toronto. 
Yeah. Um, would you uh, would you rotate so you can play kind of a more A lineup against Toronto? Well, I think or we have to. Ro- we're going to have to rotate some. Redis is can't play. I, I expect Finley to start on Wednesday night. Woo! I don't think. I don't think Diego is going to be full ninety minute match fit for no. Wednesday night. So I would expect Finley to start. We got to get Rigoni some rest at some point, though. Um, otherwise, I don't know what more rotation we'd get other than I'd love to see more Sophie and Jafal. Guy needs minutes. He's really good. He's been effective every time he's been on the field. Uh, Josh saw something he didn't like on Wednesday night, I guess. I don't know if that was because Jafal didn't bury a header on a great save from the keeper. Um, but... I mean, that's a silly reason to hold a player out, even if it is. Um, yeah, he said there were sloppy touches against New Mexico. I didn't really see it. Um, I mean, there were plenty from New Mexico. Yeah, New Mexico was terrible. Yeah. But that Sofian has been very, very good. And with Owen out for an extended period of time on international duty, we need that extra body in the midfield. And he's got to be able to play more. Uh, I hope it's not. And I, I would. Yeah, he just, he just can't keep running out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if I was going to run Sofian, it'd be this week. Um, I'd probably start Maxi Wednesday night to just add a little chaos up top to maybe catch a moment of transition because you're not going to get that out of Bruin or Zardis. Um, and kind of just pray to hang on for the best at that point would be my, my solution for Wednesday. I would consider starting Bruin, the old score against your old team thing, and just play him for a half if you can. Just to spell some minutes. Um, yeah, I, I could be. I wouldn't be against a thirty-minute run out for him at least in the late second half or something like that either. Mm-hmm. So, um, who knows? I, yeah. Did we hear anything? Cascante got like jacked in the face really early in the game. But I heard some people say he was knocked out, which is not great, especially for. I mean, he was coming off a different kind of injury, but. Um, do we know of any concern or anything where he stayed in the game? I can't believe either one of those guys stayed in the game. Yeah, they both look bad. <laughs> um, I haven't heard anything since. So that happened um, right in that literally happened right in front of me. They they were both out. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. not good. Um we need to take better care of players. I don't like that we're I know we're out of center backs and whatever, but I don't like doing that to players. Um obviously like did the could you tell if they were like giving them on field like tests or anything like that? Just from your seat. Yeah, you had the best view. Like I saw them uh, shine in a flashlight. They, at they the, 100% uh, did. Guy, they but... at one point had, yeah, at one point they had Julio um, stand on one foot and then stand at the, on his other foot to test his balance. They did the, the flashlight for the Frisco player at one point and, um, I mean, I, I saw it happen, and they were both down, and neither of them moved for a solid minute. And the and Julio got up before the Dallas player did, and the Dallas player didn't move at all for a very long time in a very scary way. Yeah, yeah, I was more I, than a bit worried well, about him. And what's more concerning is in MLS, you have the rule of a free sub if there's a concussion that doesn't go against your team. You get a six mm-hmm. sub for that. So I don't understand why you just don't pull both those guys off the field for safety precautions. Yeah. And I like, like, we actually have another center back now too. <laughs> yeah. Could have played Radovanovich the rest of the game. It would have been fine. Um, yeah. I mean, what's going to happen? We lose. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I it, it seemed irresponsible from both clubs at that point to play, keep them both on the field. Even if they clear protocol, it's just not a smart thing to do in this day and time. 
No. Um, but I think we're not going to solve MLS or sports concussion problems today. So uh, unless you guys have something else you want to bring up, I think we'll we'll wrap this up. No, I'm good. Okay. Um, well, we go again. We go again Same. Wednesday. We go again Saturday um, at home. And um, hopefully we'll take care of business. We'll go on a little run. We'll secure a playoff spot. We'll figure out how to play. And, and this will uh, dig us out and be a more and more successful season. Um, not the best result, but it is what it is. And we're glad to be back. As always, uh, thanks for suffering with us. Here for Austin Stroud. It's Diego for goodness. He has written his name into Austin folklore. They just won't go away. Oh, he hits the upright again. That's impossible. The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. Altidore squares it. Dempsey's missed it. Donovan has it. From hope, there is glory!